Good morning. It's Tuesday, April 26th, 2016. This is Tech Talk Today. I think it's episode 241, if you can believe that shenanigans. I, you'd think I would check, but I'd just go off the top of my head. My name is Chris, speaking at the top of my head, and I'm joined in studio by Noah. My name is Noah, and that's off the top of my head. I huh uh huh uh huh yes very nice very nice I'm uh, I'm getting uh, I'm getting uh, messages right as we start the show isn't that that is like a thing I do it is it it's is and right, it's on and right I'm on the nose too I'm going to film I'm going to film a documentary about how the universe connects us all because I can personally attest that you don't get messages I mean you get messages yeah, pretty much yeah. all the time but it gets particularly bad right I haven't gotten get... a single one uh, the 20 minutes leading up to the show right, right. and uh, then as soon as I say my name is Chris I start it's so weird it's yeah. so weird and I can't see the screen from here but are the people that would know that you're on air. Uh, usually it's the person sitting in that seat, actually. <laughs> Not I. <laughs> no, usually it's the other person. But she, uh, she, sat, she, she took today off, so that way uh, you could join me since this is your last Tuesday in town before you head out back to the Grand Forks, North Dakota. And it's not just Noah that joins us. No, in fact, it's our powerful, powerful mumble room. Time appropriate greetings, mumble room. Okay, that, that that seemed powerful to you. That seemed that seemed, that, that seemed pretty like, powerful. Yeah, it was all right. It was it was powerful in unison. Like no one was like yeah grabbing. Yeah. But as a whole, the mumbling was powerful. Right. All right. Well, then uh, let's combine our powers and solve problems because Spotify has some hundreds of Spotify credentials appear online. Users reports their accounts have been hacked. They report emails leaked uh, or emails changed too on some accounts. It's unclear whether these particular account details were acquired, given that they were specific to Spotify, or maybe something happened on the Spotify servers. In addition to email and login information, Pastebin posts also detail the types of accounts, you know, like it's a family or a premium account, when the subscription auditory news, and the country where the account was created. The list of accounts is not limited to the U.S., but includes a number of users from all over the world. Noah. Mm-hmm. I'm a Spotify user. Are you a Spotify user? I am. <clears throat> well, here's the thing, Noah. This might actually be one of those circumstances where uh, I am perhaps, I don't know for sure, but perhaps maybe in a bit better position because I use Facebook as my uh, account login. That's the second time this saved you then too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was – you remember the last one? There was a, something that got breached, but if you're using Facebook login, you were well, okay. I want to say it was not LastPass. No. No, but it was, a, it was something that just happened so soon that we shouldn't have forgotten it by now. But uh, this is this this is something that I'm uh, a conclusion that I'm coming to more and more. I don't think Facebook is the right solution. But if you don't, if if you can build your application where you don't need usernames, Patreon. And, oh right, that's why we should remember is Patreon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that and if you don't, if you can build a system where you don't need usernames or passwords, don't. Don't yeah. don't build a modern web application that needs usernames and passwords if you can avoid it. Use a third-party authentication service. Just pick a good one. And I guess that's kind of the hard part. Of course, now some of the victims are dealing with a fallout. A couple said that they received email notifications. Their password had been reset on Sunday. Yikes. That's no good. Uh, and uh, also, an unknown party reset their email address, deleted a playlist, and saved music to their device. Dun, dun, dun. So people are logging in and enjoying Spotify. <laughs> I don't really – I just – I thought that was kind of an interesting story and one of those it's almost worth mentioning because it could it could totally disappear by tomorrow or it could blow up. If Spotify ever gets to a point for any reason, security or otherwise, that it's no longer usable or practical to me, I'm going back to local media because streaming music on Linux is not 
the easiest walk in the park. It seems like all of the good services, like if you go to Pandora, take Pandora, for example, right? There's no Pandora client. So you have this hack together thing that exploits. You can have like, what is there, Pinot or something like that? You right, can... but, but it takes advantage of an API flaw of sorts yeah. that, that Pandora has every reason to want to patch at some point. Uh, and so if, 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 if I ever lose access to Spotify, is easy and I'm kind of bought in now. But if, if that ever changes, I'm just going to go back to buying music on Amazon. <sighs> Lame as that sounds. I don't know. I don't know. Anybody in the mumble room agree with 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 what I'm saying? Uh, go back to local, or maybe have yes. never left local. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm pretty much staying on local. Then I'm going to go to record stores that still exist, and I'm lucky <laughs> to be close to a good one <laughs> and just get optical media. Whoa! Kids, have you heard of these shiny Whoa. things? Whoa! Now hold on. Is this something new? That sounds like a hipster thing. Now here, here's where I here's where I draw the line. Uh, I'm a, I'm, you know what? I, I have reached a, I, I'm, and I, I have to be very careful because if you, if you get too, if you get too lazy with this, you'll burn yourself real bad. But I have gotten super comfortable with any time, any machine, nuke and pave, and I know I won't lose anything. No one of my machines is so valuable that I can't format it right now. And I mean, I, I will lose time, but I will not lose data. And a bit, and I don't have to. Not only will I not lose data, I don't even have to do the. Oh, are my backups current? When is the last time I copied this off to this USB drive? Should I sync that up real quick? I don't have to do any of that. I don't have to ever worry about that. <clears throat> I handed you that XPS thirteen laptop, and I said format it. I didn't back it up before I handed it to you. I just knew it was. I could format this machine right now. Oh yeah, I know. When I went through your data, I actually found. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. But but uh, so I. Just, and, and I think just having streaming music is a huge part of that flexibility. It's not how I do it, but it's a part of it. So I do a little bit um, of the same thing in that I keep all the really super important stuff on a tiny little flash drive that I literally lose constantly. However, uh, I do have a, a you know a system of keeping things in a very specific folder, and that's kind of my local. So anything that's important goes into that folder, and anytime I switch laptops, I just grab that folder and pull it off. But I do have at my home workstation. It is just far too convenient to have a bunch of sensitive data all available to me on my drive and not have it syncing anywhere because it's sensitive. Um, and so that just creates the necessity yeah, of just having to back that's that up. Where, <clears throat> that's where I draw the line, uh, too, is I, I just facilitate – I facilitate that through private syncing services. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just have computers that are considered private and mm-hmm. those are the ones – but I have no, nothing is on one computer. Daredevil, you, you've solved this problem. What, what do you do? See – I'm a simplistic person. All of music that I might want to listen that was produced commercially, I probably have it on YouTube. So I keep a oh. table, like a list of that, and I use YouTube, and I also pay with it by, you know, the advertising that now and then comes off. And when it comes down to actual music that I care to support is usually in the developers, which actually downloading is much better. You have a higher quality. And right. I have just a simple external hard drive, which is for my music. And I never actually get to save it in the computer because hmm. I use mostly laptops. So at this point, that media is available in, you know, in the network. And right, right. it's fine. Yeah. I can look and pave like you, but the, I don't have that issue. The YouTube angle, I think, is becoming way and way, way more popular. Uh, like there's YouTube, there's dedicated YouTube music apps now that just, just only play music from YouTube. Of course, YouTube Red, part of that is for, uh, because music is blowing up so much. Uh, that's a, you know, YouTube is, is really something because YouTube is whatever you make it to yourself. Uh, for me, for the, for, since its inception, it was a publishing platform to reach an audience that was watching YouTube. Mm -hmm. And that's what YouTube was to me. And for my son, 
it is his cable television. Right. He will never he will never want cable television. <clears throat> he doesn't like regular television. But he 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 literally has three or four channels that he subscribed to. And they all they talk about is Minecraft, and right. that's his television. Right. Uh, and then when I when I moved into Lady Jupiter, and I actually got a television again, yeah, yeah. which was amazing. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I started watching YouTube for television, and so now I have shows on YouTube that I watch that are YouTube only channels and shows. And for me now, it's transformed into a way to watch television. And for Daredevil, in there it's a way to listen to music too. And it's it really is kind of. It really is sort of the service that does all of the things that Spotify does. That a lot of like even Ducktales is up there. Like <laughs> I wanted to watch, yeah. Duck, and I found Ducktales. Like it's a little bit of Netflix in there too. It's a little bit of everything. Not all of it's legit, and it's it's fascinating how much stuff you can find on there. Yeah, YouTube's all right. I, I find it great for independent content. When I when I when I'm going for commercial content though, I've, I've been burned by this a couple of times. Yeah, there's actually a movie that was produced in the early '90s that I really liked. And it it came out on I could Pirates I, of Silicon Valley. Uh, no, because I I actually own. But you you could never buy it in store. It was made only for TV, and it seems that nobody really has a copy of it except on VHS, which is useless to me. <laughs> I don't need to adjust the height of my monitor. But uh, I found it on YouTube, and I was so excited. And then three days later, it's gone. Copyright violation. They pulled yeah. it. So if it's commercial content, I usually try to keep a copy of it. Well, I'll tell you what's awful. Just then we'll get off YouTube because people don't, probably don't care. But just to, now that I just uh, leaped some praise on YouTube, I'm going to also uh, uh, toss some shade. It is unquestionably altering the way independent media is made. Mm-hmm. Independent media doesn't necessarily have to follow the same rules that established media has. But yet, because of the content ID system on YouTube, even even the JB team, like we're in the car and we're planning how we're going to shoot stuff. Mm-hmm. We're like scrapping ideas. We're like, ah, no, 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 we can't do that. That'll get us pulled off YouTube. We can't do that. Yeah. And now that we want to try streaming live on YouTube, that even means the stuff we do just horsing around on our live stream with our audience that doesn't isn't intended for download. Now we have to worry about that flag content ID. Let now, me tell, let me tell you why I think that's a good thing. If you don't mind, really? Yeah, because it, it's it's silently changing the way, and it's not just me. It's definitely because I barely do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, my shit gets flagged constantly when we push up on on there. But there are creators out there that straight up will not. I mean, uh, Salem the Vagabond and 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 uh, Nomadic Fanatic and Gone with the Winds are just a couple of uh, uh, channels that have tens and tens and tens and tens and tens. In some cases, hundreds of th- thousands of subscribers. Mm-hmm. And they have all altered the way they per, they produce their content because they are afraid of getting pulled down. Because if you get pulled down from YouTube, a it's no revenue made for them, which is uh, for them is actually substantial with those numbers. And b your account can go into jeopardy. So how can that possibly be a good thing? Because it forces us to evaluate where our priorities and where our values are. If what what content ID I think is making the point is that when you support a company that has copyright written music uh, and and does not want you to use their product f- uh, for your own creativity, you essentially are running the risk of jeopardizing your own business. And it, and uh, on the other end of the token, if you were to say use all Creative Commons license, now you're supporting artists that are independent creators like yourself, and you are making a vote of confidence to say I'm going to use your product because I know that in return you'll support me and my project and I don't have to worry about it. It's kind of the same thing of open source. It's kind of the exact same analogy that we use in open source software, right? It's if you if you use if you base your business or your products off of open source software, you never have to worry about the rug getting pulled with you know right. out from under you and it's kind of the same thing here. 
Yeah, the the issue is that there are market dynamics at work that have forced a sort of monopoly. I mean, because the same there's, there's the same problem in iTunes. Really, it's not as bad in iTunes. Ironically, iTunes is is less um, heavy handed. It, the 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 worst thing iTunes will do is if you swear a lot in your podcast and you're not popular, they won't feature you. Okay. If you are popular and you swear a lot, they'll still feature you. Okay. But if you get flagged as NSFW uh, by iTunes, and you'll see podcasts that have a little NSFW flag next to them, they won't feature you. Gotcha. That's the worst they do. They don't pull your stuff down. They don't forbid you from playing three seconds of music for, from Prince when you're talking about Prince dying. You yeah. know. But does that become a deterrent then from playing copywritten music? And does that encourage people then to go out to those avenues and look at creators that are producing uh, Creative Commons content? doesn't seem to have. I don't know. Maybe it does slowly. Maybe slowly. I hope so. And I, I, my, my, my hope is, my hope is really with all of this stuff is to show that independent media is is just as good on its own, regardless of using commercial content or not. And it, mm-hmm. we can get the whole fair use thing at another time. But yeah. Well, anyway. So I, I'm just saying that there is there is an angle to be had about yeah. like, taking positive light on it. That's all. I like that. There's always it's always nice. Uh, so let's talk about something that I'm interested in. This bicycle has four gigabytes of RAM. Uh, what? It's called, yeah, it's called the Lee Eco. Oh, yes. Yeah, I have seen this. this. Yes, yeah. I have. It is really cool. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I've been kind of just fantasizing about bikes uh, recently uh, because uh, when we're in Lady Jupes on the road, uh, we don't have any other means of transportation other than a 40-foot rig, which is not awesome or optimal for exploring towns. So we thought, hey, you know what would make a great way to, and sort of economical way would be a bike. So I, this is really cool to see this Leo Eco. You'll see in a minute, but I am sitting on the Superbike, and it is the future of cycling. It's pretty much what will happen if you combine your fitness tracker, your smartphone, and connectability of a connected car all into a road bike. The Le Superbike has a smartphone built in to the handlebar system, so it stops you having to have a mount. Oh, and a smartphone that has every chance of falling off and ending up in the road. This runs Android, so it's like running an Android phone. Oh, yeah. It has all the connectability that you would expect from a phone. It gives uh, the option to have messages. You can receive incoming calls. I'm not so sure I'm hot on the incoming calls thing, but I like all of the tracking stuff it does. I like the built-in headlight, the battery. I like the way the brake system works. <laughs> Excuse me. I think it's a pretty cool little bike. You know, you add some pedal assist in there. Now you really got my attention. Mm-hmm. Adjust the volume using immediate playback controls on the handlebars. So you can annoy pedestrians by having music playing nice. as you cycle along. You, what you've probably seen here as well is every time I move my hand over this, there's a light. Headlight. Not only at the front. But taillight too. Isn't that neat? A freaking taillight on a bike. And that's enabled by a light sensor in here. So when it gets dark, the lights come on automatically. There's an additional safety feature here. And if we look down on the ground... You see that red line there? You can see a red laser line Mm -hmm. running along the side. Yeah. And that works in a very special way. It's a lane marker. So when you're cycling along the road... That's how close a car can get to you without knocking you off. So it's a good safety that feature. Is brilliant, but why You'll would we want to get that close control to panel down here. This well, they don't want to, but it's a big problem, right? So I just think this is the neatest thing. Uh, so this display, by the way, is four inches with a quad-core processor and four gigabytes 
of RAM. So it's got those laser pointers, a heart rate sensor, a built-in speaker, and a camera, also the headlight and the uh, rear light. Oh, I, I mean, the, see, the only problem is when I was looking at this, like uh, a nice pedal assist bike that's not crazy is like $1,200. Yeah. But those things, you know, they just charge by, by cycling and, you know. You I, could, I'm actually, you know, it's funny. I should look into that a little more closely. I'm actually kind of in the market for a new bike. Yeah. I and mean, I don't know that I'm going to spend $1,200. I was thinking they had a good deal on Amazon for $250. Well, I spent that much money on Google Glass, and this is for your body. Yeah. Well, but your Google health. Glass is awesome and amazing. <laughs> and I can take pictures of my kids, and now I right. like, depend okay. on it. All right. You got me there. That is true. That is true. Uh, all right. Well, let's get our NSA update. Uh, I'm not. I'm going to dial up the NSA mainframe here and uh, see. We'll get our connection here with. Oh, hold on. Mm hmm. Yep, we got it. Okay, good. So this is an interesting story. Uh, your buddy, your your good friend, James Clapper, uh, the guy who uh, lied uh, to uh, Senator uh, – what's his name from uh, Oregon? Wyden? Mm-hmm. Wyden? I can't remember his name now. I'm drawing a blank. This so early in the morning. But he's the guy that asked Clapper point blank – uh, is the NSA conducting domestic surveillance on U.S. citizens? Mm-hmm. And uh, he rubs his head a little bit and goes, um, "If we do, it's it's not not intentional." It's yeah, not- yeah, yeah. He says, "You know," he says first, "It is not," and he yeah. goes, "You're not," because uh, he knew the answer because he was on the oversight committee. He already knew the answer mm-hmm. when he asked the question. He knew right. the answer was yes. And then he says, "Well, yeah, now that we're well, now that we're aware of or something like that." So now he's uh, he's complaining. Mr. James Clapper, who never got in trouble for lying, uh, is complaining that a result of the Snowden revelations, the onset of commercial encryption has been accelerated by seven years. I don't know why so specific. We'll get into that. Uh, he said that uh, during a breakfast for journalists hold- hosted by the Christian Science Monitor. Could you could we back up? Could you explain? Yeah. I mean, excuse my ignorance, but uh-huh. what does that mean? What does, <laughs> well, what does it mean when you say it's you spread the, you sped up the spread of encryption by seven years. You sped years. up the spread of encryption by seven years. Now, what does that mean? Mumble Room, does anybody want to tell Noah what they think that means? As a result of the Snowden revelations, the onset of commercial encryption has accelerated by seven years. That's what James Clapper said during a breakfast for journalists hosted by the Christian Science Monitor. So they have to speed up their encryption technologies because every user is getting faster and faster with his encryption. So they had to they had to they had to figure out what encrypt. No, oh gosh, really? Oh, here's what it means. Oh, I just don't get it. Uh, the onset. I'll break it down for you. The onset of commercial encryption, as mm-hmm. in Google and Apple mm-hmm. encrypting devices by default, mm-hmm. and the strength of encryption in things like Telegram and WhatsApp mm-hmm. and um, Signal. These all came to the market seven years faster than the NSA was expecting. Oh. Because of Snowden revealing the NSA's activities, hmm. showing the need for encryption. I see. And the, the, the abstract logic is is that – and this is what's – OK. So there's a couple of things. There's two things behind this statement that I just – I really think are just uh, – are, are really juicy. So two things, two intentions. <clears throat> Number one. Number one, what we are saying, aesthetically, what he is saying here, essentially, is, well, the tech companies don't really want to encrypt, but consumers now are freaked out because of Snowden and because the, the little consumers, the civilians, 
because they're concerned about it. Tech companies stepped that up by seven years. It wouldn't have it wouldn't have evolved this fast right. if it wasn't for the fact that consumers got scared. That's that's kind of what you're saying. Number one, number two. When this is really the insidious one, number two, what you're really saying now is that you want the federal government to stay ahead of the private citizen. And that you were banking on the fact that you still had seven years to lock in surveillance and methodologies to crack encryption, get back doors, and pass laws ahead of the civilians before their interest and wants got there. Because you knew you had a ticking clock. And that is the most insidious and evil thing about what is implied by James Clapper, who has lied on the record before. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Oh, you know what? Have, I, have you know, I don't know if you, I don't know. I, I guess we haven't really talked about it. I know that it's been kind of been in the background, but what? What? Well, just I don't know if you've noticed. I've begun using encryption a lot more. Yeah, 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 and uh, it's pissing off uh, guys like uh, like uh, Mr. Uh, James Comey here. Comey or Comey uh, is the director of the FBI. He's had a bad couple of weeks. Uh, he took it kind of in the face for uh, the whole iPhone encryption thing. Ended up buying um, an exploit from some uh, average grayware thugs for over a million bucks. Cracked one single phone and uh, then went on to say we still need Apple's help. Continued to try to pursue a separate lawsuit with Apple in New York. I don't know if you knew, but there was like a drug case in New York. Mm-hmm. A separate from the San Bernardino shooter case. Mm-hmm. Continued uh, to try to push that forward. However... Uh, it looks like they are now also closing the book on that. So there you go. Two cases, and they're both over for the FBI, it looks like. Um, so the San Bernardino case on March 28th came to a close. And it looks like this one now is coming to close this week. And hopefully it's the end of something much larger. I don't know, man. I'd feel better if I, feel, if I felt like I thought the FBI was going to drop this. But I think, that the, I think that the powers that be are remarkably concerned about this problem and they're going to look and look and look until they find a case that they can take to court that they think they can win to uh, to, to, to make well, some I sort mean, of precedent. You would that- think that that San Bernardino shooter won. Here's, a, here's, here's what I'm – I don't want there to be – boy, this is a really tough call. I don't want – I don't want um, companies like Google and Apple to build in backdoors that the FBI can just go unlock. Mm-hmm. Um, the FBI, I've, I remember reading a book they, that at a time they had this and when the phone system was new. They, they fantasized and they even built for a little while and designed greater systems where uh, all, of the, all of the nation's phones, switchboards, would come into a master room in the FBI. And at any point they could just walk in and plug in and listen to anybody's call. And they were building that for a while. That's the level of access they want. Mm-hmm. Um, here is where we're at now. Because they don't have an official way to get access to this data, they are creating a cyber arms race by paying over $1 million for a single exploit on an iPhone. And when you say paying $1 million, the rest of that statement is $1 million of our tax money Yeah, for a single exploit on an iPhone. That is setting the value of these exploits extremely high and – if the American government in front of the world in one of the most public technology encryption cases ever resolves it by spending over a million dollars to exploit this, that's telling the entire freaking world we just pegged the value of an iPhone exploit at a million dollars. And it's also saying that we pegged the value of an iPhone exploit above the interests of the, of the American company who made it for an American citizen who purchased it. 
that tells me that this is a really, really good business to be in. And at this point, if you're a TechSnap listener, you know the rest of the story. This is a market that's already huge. Mm-hmm. Zero days are massive. This is going to create such a long-term problem for the security of our personal devices. The companies are really in it. I mean, they are really up against something now. Mm-hmm. The companies that have to secure these devices are going to have to be smarter, patch faster, Think of things nobody's thought of before. You know, and the problem is Google and Apple, they, ha- they have to meet a budget. You know, they have to the, – the, the line at the end of the day has to balance because they're in business to make money. Federal government, they, we just keep running up the national deficit. Right. It's, it, it, you, you, are comp- you are competing essentially with a bottomless, uh, a bottomless money pit. Mm-hmm. That's why you have to make sure everything is done really well. All your, all your crypto has to be perfect, which is <laughs> – is which is impossible. Is what yeah. You're saying. yeah. Well, humans aren't perfect, so, uh, and that's why we want driverless cars because humans are so imperfect. So Google, Ford, and Uber just created a giant lobbying group for self-driving cars. Oh, also Volvo and Lyft are in there. But uh, so, what do you think of this? Uh, what do you think about this? This is this is obviously one of those things that's going to require. So many legal changes to actually pull this off, to just to eventually have it be an era where you sit in the backseat of the car and the thing just drives everywhere from point A to point B. Can you imagine the amount of uh, liability laws that are going to have to change, insurance things that are going to be completely out the window, all of the taxes that are made off gases that are going to be lost uh, because there's so much better fuel usage? Not to mention citations. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Traffic citations, like all of the revenue that they actually do survive off of. What are they going to do? And so the amount of lobbying required to push something like this forward, this this is going to disrupt so many interests. You know, to be honest with you, I'm almost inclined to say that I'm on the opposite side of the lobby, if only because once self-driving cars become a thing, once they are proven, insurance companies are going to offer a massive discount to anyone that drives them. And when I say a discount, I don't mean that insurance is going to be cheaper. I mean that insurance for the rest of us that enjoy driving a vehicle is going to go through the roof. Yeah. And essentially what they're going to do is price people out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you will and – then, and then at some point I would imagine when there's too few left people to complain, then they'll just outright ban driving cars mm-hmm. and then we'll all just be ridden around by robots. And I can't say that I'm excited for that. I really like driving. Yeah, yeah. I think in our lifetime – like you know, going out to where I live, could you ever see that ha- getting mapped no, out in my lifetime? No, no, it'll be it'll be major <clears throat> areas of the city. It'll be it'll become essentially like tr- public transportation. Yeah, I'll get into the major roadways, and then I can hit auto, and it takes over. But there, at least so, I, I just don't see. I don't see where I live. Go ahead. So I disagree that uh, they will lose their funds of revenue just because we're actually moving to a less carbon uh, economy anyways. That's what carbon cap does, which will make for the car companies that have, for example, the situation that the self-driving cars to be able to sell their carbon cap, be able to actually still develop more cars and that we can replace them much more fast. Uh, with the other ones. If you want still to drive your car, then I guess your biggest problem won't be your taxes, but actually your ability to cope and follow the rules that self-driving cars follow. Because <laughs> in driving scenarios, you're going to be the you know the last uh, capable driver. You know, I I do I do I I acknowledge. I think your point that it seems inevitable. 
I don't know. I think how does, I, that, how does that address the loss of revenue at the state level? See, I think they, well, it's just inevitable for them. They're going to have to transition, but I think it's going to because uh, because so many gerbs and you know our safety and the children mm-hmm. and drugs and mm-hmm. you know deaths and all that because of all these reasons they'll throw at us for mm-hmm. years and years and years and years and years they will slow the process down. Um, which, but I think it is inevitable. Sorry, the perspective that on the taxes is carbon cap does allow for companies that do pollute more uh, to buy the carbon uh, quotas of the carbons that pollute less. So in this exchange, there's money flowing and those that are polluters and that they need the, the roads and stuff, they will contribute that way. To, to the roads and to, to the tax needed. There's also the fact that because you're going to have a less quantity of cars overall moving because you, when you have a self-driving car, shared economy principles make more sense. You're at that point, you don't no longer need the car to be waiting for you outside 12 hours. You know, you just get the car coming to you. And with this perspective in mind, you also reduce the actual expenditure of the infrastructure because it, it takes longer time to wear off because it's less vehicles on it. I think it's – yeah, I think the, that kind of stuff is like that and just less cars congested on the road, so less wear all over the roads, less time wasted at the road. It's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that we'll be talking about for much longer, so we should probably move on. I know people in the mumber room have more things to say, but there's probably going to be many more years for us to talk about this. So uh, I want to talk about this next story because I think you might be a Logitech fan. Are you a Logitech fan? Uh, let's see here. Those are I my Logitech. Sh- although well, this, they, they are, but you brought this one in here. That's true. This is a Logitech. Uh, is this what do they call this? A trackball? M five seventy. M five seven zero. M five seven zero. Every mouse I own is a Logitech. Yeah, I I love. I, you know, my favorite. Key, one of my favorite keyboards is my Logitech gaming keyboard upstairs. Oh yeah. Yeah, and they took uh, one hundred and sixty gaming keyboards and they made it into a massive pixel display, which looks pretty cool, with a little chip tune music too. Wow, that does look really neat. So the, all the keys light up like that? Oh yeah, I guess the LEDs on there. Yeah, it must be that expensive one that you can program like what color you want each key or whatever. Yeah, pretty neat display. Pretty neat display. So they use the programmable LEDs as backlighted as the backlighting keyboards. Uh, and uh, they <laughs> look at that. They, this is a, this is a display at PAX East. You know. People are all kind of nonplussed by it that are walking by. They don't really seem all that impressed. But here in the yeah. video, it's kind of neat. I, I thought it was pretty cool. 160 keyboards. Uh, the the the, uh, the models, the G810 uh, keyboards, which is, uh, yeah. The Great Wall of Logitech. That's funny. Good for them. And, then, you know, hmm. they got a little press coverage at least for it. Yeah, so this, this keyboard here, I don't know. I'm not so sure about this keyboard. This is a... Uh, this one here is a TT Sports by Thermaltake. That thing is a piece of junk. Thermaltake is making a keyboard now? They have for a while. But that thing, I think that was the free one that came with... Uh, yeah, it came with the case. Yeah. Yeah. It's a keyboard that just came with the case. That is uh, that is junk. <laughs> like, I, in fact, I, I typed on it one time and I was like, well, yeah, go, Chris get rid of this. this isn't going to stay in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> He's not going to let this stay in the studio. It's too loud and it's uncomfortable to type on and it misses keystrokes and it's just an it overall piece of crap. It is a little awkward. It is a little awkward. All right. Here's a quickie. Uh, Game of Thrones season six premieres with a piracy craze. More than a million downloads in half a day, according to uh, Torrent Freak. The premiere of Game of Thrones sixth season has once again ignited 
a piracy craze. People from all over the world grabbed a copy, and this morning, over 200,000 BitTorrent users are actively sharing copies of the episode. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, don't do it on Comcast. They'll send you a letter. Uh, also, there's better ways of... I mean, nothing. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get into it. Uh, you know what? I don't... I'm not I'm not an advocate for uh, stealing uh, for stealing uh, content. I just think uh, you should just watch content that wants to be free and seen and doesn't care how you download it. All right. What do you think of QNAP? Because they've got a new release of their QTS OS version 4.2.1 adds networking virtual switch, proxy servers, virtualization station 2.1, and more features. This is an interesting beast. It's an OS that's like a NAS operating system that they're turning into like a full-featured switch and DHCP server and a virtual virtualizer server all on the NAS. It's like taking the NAS hardware up to the next level with some powerful hardware in there. Um, Linux is the underpinning of the OS, as you probably guessed. It's even going to support direct GPU pass-through. So if you want to load this OS on like a really nice super uh, super hardcore system, mm-hmm. like one click pass through for uh, like um, virtualization to the uh, video card. This mm-hmm. is kind of cool, though. Don't you almost think? Oh, I think we should check I, this out a little bit. The thing that I like about stuff like that is I I've always dreamed of a of a day where I get to a point where when I have to use other software, there's a way that I can get access to the hardware without actually ever giving control mm-hmm. of that you know mm-hmm. that software to my mm-hmm. to my machine mm-hmm. this big boy their big one mm-hmm. so this is like their high-end their high-end qnap rig uh it's got uh, <laughs> it's got it's got uh, sas sata uh it's 10g ready redundant power supplies 18 2.5 bays supports iSCSI. i don't know if i mentioned that already it's eighty four hundred dollars. I love That's the, the high end one. I love that we're talking about an eighty four hundred dollar, essentially big, gigantic server, and it's available on Amazon. Yeah, I know. Well, welcome to twenty sixteen. You and know, there power, was a time and, and powered by Linux. there was a time if you wanted to buy an eighty four thousand dollars server, you'd go and it'd say contact sales, and then you click on that, and then you'd have to fill out an information, and then three to five business days later, a sales rep would call you, and then if you just wanted to know what the price was, they would tell you, but then they ho- would harangue you for the next like three weeks, yeah, every day, yeah. You ready to buy that box? You ready to buy the box? You ready right. to buy the box? Right now, here's one that is maybe uh, this. One out of stock on Newegg, so I don't know the price. But uh, here's another one that runs that OS we just talked about, where it does all the virtualization, all the fancy features. The QNAP SS839 Pro. As uh, it's got the uh, it's got the Intel Atom 1.6 gigahertz processor, and so I don't know how much you're going to get out of that. But uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting device. We'll we'll be down the road someday sh- shopping. Looks, looks like it's uh, 599 dollars. Oh, thank you, sir. We'll one day be shopping for um, additional storage because we are so tight. Has has the beard told you? How tight the uh, the NAS storage is? Yeah, he uh, he deleted a TV show. That hurts, right? That hurts. Yeah, we've been deleting a whole bunch of stuff. I deleted, uh, you know, remember I was talking about backups? Yeah. Well, before I came to my don't need to do backups solution, I had done backups to the NAS, so I went and I was like, I hate deleting backups that are yeah, only a year t- old. He told me, he's like, he's like, Chris doesn't believe in deleting data. I'm like, Rakai, I don't believe in deleting data. Hard drive is cheap enough. I'd rather go buy a one terabyte drive at Best Buy for 80 bucks and dump it all to there before I delete it. I don't even know where he gets that. I'm the guy that goes in there and deletes the temp folders and clears that crap out all the time. I'm the guy that goes in there and deletes old ISOs for distros that we're never going to install again. Yeah. And I deleted like two years worth of backups. Good for you. It hurt though. I'm sure it did. It did hurt. So you don't like doing it. Um, I like deleting the temp files and old ISOs. I don't like deleting the backups. You know what right. I'm saying? Hello, yeah. everybody. That uh, That's what feels good to me. All right. Guess what, Mr. Noah? It's time to kick it. <laughs> this is our Kickstarter of the week here on the Tech Talk Today program, submitted 
by the chat room, picked up by the kernel Linux right here. It's called PolySmooth, a 3D printer that prints. Get ready for this. Without those layers that you see in 3D printed things. You know, I almost I almost said in that last segment when we were talking about uh, the keyboards, I almost said, boy, this has that feel like it was 3D printed. Like, feel that corner right there. You feel that it feels like it's 3D printed yeah, where yeah, it's got sure those does. ridges in it. Yeah. And it, it feels gritty. That's this cheap keyboard that we're talking about here. Uh, they probably did just 3D print, 3D print the edges, which is fine. That's why they can give it away for free. Uh, and so this is really cool. It's an entirely new 3D printing filament and desktop machine. It's supposed to dramatically, they say, improve the surface of 3D printed parts. Uh, it's on Kickstarter. They have 682 backers. They have raised $201,000 with a goal of $100,000. With 28 days left to go, they're really cranking. Let's check a little bit. I have not learned anything more beyond this point. This is where I said, all right, I'm going to cut myself off and learn with the rest of you. Now we tune into their video. Take it away. Kickstarters. Oh, I said, take it Nothing away. Part. A little rough around the edges. Visible layer lines on the surface. Oh. That's the nature of extrusion-based technology. True. And what sets apart a 3D printed object from a mass-produced plastic part. That little refinement. But what if you could easily eliminate the layers and smooth the surface of your printed part, achieving a high gloss finish without a moment of elbow grease? We are proud to introduce our most innovative filament to date and our brand new desktop machine to work in tandem. Available in a wide variety of colors, this new filament has a vast range of applications across many different industries. PolySmooth is soluble in isopropyl alcohol. When a PolySmooth model is placed into the polisher, an ultrasonic nebulizer creates a fine mist in the chamber. Each particle of mist is typically 5 to 10 microns in diameter, so a very even coat of IPA is applied to every nook and cranny of your model. The particles then start melting the surface of the model, smoothing the layers, and your model is transformed in a matter of minutes. Wow. Holy cow. You can use PolySmooth on any desktop 3D printer. Like all other Polymaker filaments, PolySmooth is easy to work with and prints very well. You can get fine details with good interlayer adhesion. Print complex geometries with PolySmooth's impressive bridging capability. PolySmooth support is also very easy to remove. And once polished, there is no scar left on the surface. Throughout the whole process of bringing our first hardware product to market, we utilized 3D printing, focusing firstly on function over form. We fine-tuned our early prototypes to get the best user experience out of the desktop machine, until finally our designers could bring the polisher to life with our minimal design and intuitive interface. I use an awful lot of uh, different 3D printing materials in my business, and I'm loving PolySmooth, not only for its amazing polishability, but for its great printing characteristics. It's just a joy to print with, and I'm sure that you're going to like it too. We designed the polisher to be as simple and intuitive as possible. To operate the polisher, just twist the dial to set the time. Alongside the main operating dial, the polisher features three buttons for power, so opening cool. and closing, it's like a and toaster the chamber oven. lighting. We've built in some really cool lighting effects into the polisher. There's dimmable white chamber lights that illuminate your model. There's Me, also dude. a multicolored nebulizer light, which can cycle through 15 colors, or you can set it to your preferred illumination. This isn't our first Kickstarter campaign. Back in 2014, we introduced three entirely new materials for 3D printing and asked for your help to bring them to the market. With this successful campaign, we got our company out of the lab and promised to keep on 
innovating and developing new materials for 3D printing. Since then, we've introduced poly support. What do you think, Noah? I think I want one. I've wanted to get into 3D printing for so long. But every time I look into it, there's a cutting process. There's a, what do you call it? Uh, you have to cut them, slice, slicing process yeah, or whatever. Yeah, okay, sure. And that's what always turns me off is I don't know how to do any of that. So uh, 28 days left to go. Here's your different backing levels. I mean, this does look really slick. This, These look like pro products, right? Not that 3D printed thing, which... I've never really minded a lot, but it always does kind of... To me, it seems good for utilitarian type things, Mm -hmm. not for product type things. So, for example, if we needed a stand to raise the Apollo up a little bit, it seems like a great thing for 3D print. Yeah. So you can get in as low as 10 bucks, but they only have six backers at 10 bucks. That's not where people are backing in at. People are back, back, backing in at the uh, Early Bird 199 special. They got 100 backers here. The Super Early Bird, they got one... Uh, polyester, polyester, whatever they call it. Then the next step up, there's only one left at the 229 level. So for 230 bucks, there's one spot left. Mm. Excuse me. You get, you get one. That's a good one. That is a really good one. That's your cheapest. You're otherwise after that uh, 250 bucks, and then it goes up. Then it gets up there. Then it gets up to 1700 dollars. Now you get you get the you get the polisher, you get the smooth thingy, you get a whole bunch of stuff. But boy, it really can get expensive fast. However, if you could turn around and sell some of this stuff, like if you were an Etsy person or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, so there's like a polished engineering part as an example. That does look really good. I wonder if you can polish things that were printed in other printers. Probably. Probably. I would think so, yeah. So what do you say, uh, Mumble Room? Anybody say don't back it? Anybody have a negative pass? Not use? Do not use? Do not support? What do you say? I don't think it's necessarily a do not support thing. You think, you, you think, think it's a good idea or a bad idea? Overall, it's a good idea. I'd let... I'd say that there's enough market already so that people actually can get other ways of financing, not Kickstarter-wise. What do you th- what do you think, Noah? Is this something you think is uh, backable? I'm not saying you have to actually back it, but you right. think is it worthy of backing? That's I think what... I think it's worthy of backing. But I was as I was discussing with you the other day, I am personally I am done backing right. Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you think if this is one one thing that I do like about it too is that they have uh, a previous Kickstarter that was successful and they delivered yeah. on. That's I'm glad they pointed that out, and I think that's worth pointing out. And I like too they have like right here they have a whole breakdown of how the machinery works. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to give one more chance for descent from the mumble room. Going once, going twice. Do you have a fr- Do you have a 3D printer? You have. They have one that you can get with, it or you just use this to polish. So you either use your own 3D printer, or they have a 3D printer you could buy. I Ooh, have another argument. Okay. All right. Okay. Go ahead, Daredevil. If they already successfully funded one campaign and they were they are a company now. Shouldn't they be reinvesting their profits in the product they believe in? Well, ask that to ask that same question to Pebble. I think they're following the Pebble model here, is what it really is. And then, then I'm not gonna back just because if they don't want to put their money where their mud is, why would I? Oh, we have a contention. All right, we have a contention. Okay, we have a solid lodged contention. Anyone else in the mumber want to file a contention before I f- call final judgment? All right. So we have Noah saying it's go for it. We have Daredevil say it's risky. They should be reinvesting their own product. But I think it's worth backing. So I think that tips it over. I think so. We're going to go for a win. But none of us are actually going to spend any of our money. Right. So ultimately, Daredevil's really kind of right. <laughs> well, somebody might. You, know, yeah. you don't know that. No, I. we'll see. So uh, 28 days left to go. We'll have a link 
in the show nizzles. That's over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Just look for Tech Talk Today, episode 241. If you would like to submit a really cool Kickstarter, the one that you could maybe get us talking about, go over to techtalktoday.reddit.com and submit it there. Also, a great place to send in stories that we need to talk about, interesting tech news, follow-up items, or even end of show clips. All over at techtalktoday.reddit.com. Join us next Tuesday. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for the live time. I'd love to have you in the mumble room. And uh, you can also catch Mr. Colonel Linux over there on the Twitter at Colonel Linux. I am. Noah, thanks for joining me for another episode. Thanks for having me for another episode. It was fun and uh, pretty smooth this week. Pretty, pretty smooth this week. You know, and you did come through on your pledge over the patreon.com slash today page. When we hit uh, the right, when we hit the number, you actually ended up wearing a window shirt. Yeah, I complained about it the entire day, but I did wear it. Actually, we and I was wondering if we get to six hundred one, but uh, yeah, we didn't get there. That's all right because I'll give you a little taste of what I walked into Saturday morning. No, it was Sunday morning because you were wearing it on last too. Yeah, so you can see it in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. Uh, I walk up to the booth, and uh, at this point in time, our internet connection is down. Our tripod is missing. Our camera is not set up. And we have and had... And we're working on all the frames. Yeah. And our frames for the art, for the visuals, were, were, were not all set up yet on this new rig. And so I'm expecting Noah to have like this... Some sort of huge like, this isn't going to work. This is no good. Because he, he's got this awful look on his face as he walks up to me. <laughs> and his first, the first words out of his mouth are not about the internet connection being down. Not about the fact that we don't have a tripod or a camera. No, the first words out of his mouth are, I hate wearing this shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Shows you where my priorities are. (laughs) Patreon.com slash today. Help the network. If you find value in any of our shows, anything that we release on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, you can help us out over there. Just like if you find value in a subscription to Netflix or YouTube, Red, or whatever you've put your content and your time into, maybe you get a little value from it, you consider supporting us. Another thing to consider, too, is uh, if you haven't yet cut the cord, but you still want to support independent media, so when you do cut the cord, we'll be there for you. That's also a great way to kick a little our way. Patreon.com slash today. You also get access to behind-the-scenes clips, videos, and goodies that we've posted over the ages there, including one that uh, we just posted as a little tour of some of the hardware upgrades in the studio. I wonder if we need to do a follow-up. I don't know if we'll have time, but... Oh, we can we can figure it. We, we'll do yeah, a follow-up. We yeah. should. Uh, <clears throat> of course, you're taking off soon, but... Uh, and we still have some work to do. But we've made quite a bit of changes in the studio. So we should update the patrons. Patreon.com slash today. Thanks to all of you. And as a thank you to Mr. Colonel Linux, today's end of show clip comes from uh, a cartoon I, I suppose you must hold near and dear because yep. Tom and Jerry came up over and over again yep. as an end of show clip. And so here we have it. Just for Mr. Noah and now for you, it is Tom and Jerry to take us out. See you right back here next Tuesday. Thanks for joining us, everybody. (laughs) 